The Bain Free Radio Hour. Welcome to the Bain Free Radio Hour. It's a pleasure to have you along. I am Bain Associate Editor and your podcast host, David Afshirod. Today we bring you Sean Patrick Hazlett's interview with Larry Correa and Jason Cordova about the latest entry in the Monster Hunter memoir series, Monster Hunter Fever. Let's take a look. Welcome back to the Bain Free Radio Hour podcast. I'm here with Larry Correa and Jason Cordova to talk about Monster Hunter memoirs fever. All right, guys, this is the the latest in a long line of amazing Monster Hunter books. I want to start with you, Jason, because how the hell did you come up with the Negwali? And I know I completely butchered that, so I Uh, apologize in advance. I was writing another book, actually, at the time, and... um... I was stuck. I kept having this stupid scene of a monster hunter working her way through a disco in like 1970s US, you know, during the disco era, hunting a vampire. And it just the fever, the the Saturday night fever element. Well, that's where the title came from. Uh, Interestingly, if we do do what we talked about, if you put the word disco in front of every one of the three titles, it works. (laughs) But anyway, so I kept having this disco image it was bugging the crap out of me and i finally said hey larry remember back in like 2013 you said you wanted to work on something with me and he stared at me like um yeah (laughs) well guess what bud (laughs) i got an idea that's a good way to do a pitch yeah well but the the nahuali came from mesoamerican mythology they're pretty much demonic skinwalkers uh, kind of like Native American skinwalkers, but a little more uh, following the bloodlust side of... They, they make skinwalkers look like pets. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, 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 when uh, I proposed it to Larry, he's like, so is this like a were-jaguar? I was like, oh, if it were only that simple. <laughs> and yeah, what source... Was, oh, go ahead, it Larry. Pretty, it, it, it was pretty it, it was pretty cool when he, when he pitched it and I was like, let me see. And then he showed me what he had. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's yeah, that's pretty baller. <laughs> we should totally run with that. Where did you guys do the research for this? Like, what kind of, like, where did this lure come? I know, I mean, you said where it came from, but were there any texts or books that you reviewed to research it? Ooh, wow. Um, I, I'm using it as a stand for my laptop right now for the camera, but it's actually, it's a giant book of mythical creatures it was published in hardcover in like 2002 and it has every mm-hmm. single mythological creature you could think of and i rated that hard <laughs> okay uh, now so, i was gonna say some of the other monsters were too is ones that i had referenced in the series before mm-hmm. as being south american in orange but i never had a chance to use them anywhere so we just kind of grabbed those and shoehorned them in here too because i was like cool ideas that you know like i haven't got to write about these yet so let's kind of shove them in this book (laughs) all right now part of this book you kind of have to capture this era like the you know this in the 1970s so first of all i you talked a little bit jason about the the reason you're using kind of the saturday night fever sort of feel you couldn't get out of your head but there's also a lot 
about just historical events that happened through this. So Larry and, and Jason, how did you two kind of decide what to what to cover, what not to? Because there's, you know, you start out in Israel as an example. Um, yeah. That one was pretty easy. I, I'm, I guess I could say now I worked with the IDF briefly in 97 and 98 when I was in the Navy. And I really, really liked them. Uh, they were they were top-notch people. I, I Of all the Middle Eastern and uh, countries I visited, they were the most uh, put-together military that we'd helped uh, train. And so when I, we were coming up with the idea of it, I was like, okay, it's got to start off with a bang. Every single one, if you look at all the other Monster Hunter books, they mm-hmm. start with a bang. And I mean, that's the key is to get that first scene in and just hit people hard. And I was like, well, she, the original first scene was her being recruited back to MHI and just, it didn't work. And I was like, I need to hit them. Let's, let's take her home. So I think Larry suggested uh, Israel mentioned, mentioned Israel, I think. And then I was like, Oh, that's a great idea. And I just ran with it from there. Yeah. That was is- it was fun too because we had like, uh, as one as one of our readers pointed out, like a uh, a la- hot Latina Jewish girl is like the ultimate apex predator. <laughs> <laughs> that is indeed that is indeed true. I can totally and, and, see how that works. Yeah, and, and so it's, it, we had a lot of fun with that. And then like, so I, I was born in '75, and Jason's a couple years younger than me, and so this is before our time. But we grew up around enough people that this was their time. And so, like, mm-hmm. uh, a lot of the characters and stuff, uh, I, I drew upon the people who were kind of like the the adults in the room when I was growing up and their experiences and stories and stuff I heard. Uh, I grew up around a lot of Vietnam vets. Like a, like, a ton of people I grew up around were Vietnam vets, and that had a lot of effect on people. And so we had a lot of guys that were just recently home from Vietnam that had just ended. And uh, we brought a lot of that just culture that I saw and stuff that I heard and uh, the original, the setting, the area they spend most of the book in is Los Angeles. And it's actually where Jason grew up. And so a lot of the geography is just like, uh, it's just, just what he knew coming up, you know, going home pretty much. I mean, (laughs) yeah, there's straight up, there's individual houses where he's like, Oh yeah, I know the house. Yeah. Somebody actually pointed out, said that house, I drive by that house every day when I go to work. And I said, yeah, that's my dad's house. Don't knock, please. (laughs) (laughs) Where did you grow up, Jason? Uh, I actually grew up in all over Southern California, Los Angeles, uh, lived in San Diego briefly, San Bernardino, Inland Empire, uh, but I mostly call Covina home because that's where my last foster home was at. Yeah, I mean, just as a quick aside, I lived in the Mojave Desert for about four years. So like we used to go to West Covina uh, because that was like a major shopping mall sometimes, Mm -hmm. but it would be like- That's where my high school was at. (laughs) Yeah, it was a long, long- long drive but, yeah i was okay. north of you guys i was san joaquin valley never i so went down to la a lot but uh man i was lost so uh, on anything like as far as getting from here to there uh that was all jason because i i don't know <laughs> yeah it's it is a massive urban sprawl that you can't get places very quickly it, <laughs> very, very oh, I mean, pasadena to the covina is only about eight miles, but it takes about two hours drive. And even in the seventies, traffic was just a nightmare. And then you had the fuel shortages going on as well. And just, it... yeah, we ran with that too. Uh, 
we, 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 we never get like overtly political as far as what's going on, but I mean, they're definitely existing in the world of the time. And I've had some people who are quite a bit older than us are like, well, that that's not quite right. And it's like, eh, you know what, though? We're close enough for how old we are. <laughs> Yeah. You guys, you guys, I'm going to give you a hard time about this, actually. You guys took a swipe at Reagan for the, what is it, the Golden State, what's the, for his, like, you know, backdoor contracts and yeah. Yeah, say a little bit more well, about that. Know, I, I thought it was I, hilarious. I like Ronald Reagan. So my family's Californian. We grew up California before we had to, you know, now we're political refugees who fled across the border. Um <laughs> But, but my family grew up there, and that was just kind of a thing we knew, like in the farming towns and community and stuff. There was a lot of uh, who you know and uh, being connected as far as who, who got to do what in California in that era. I'm sure it's better now. <laughs> well, maybe it's not how you're connected. Maybe it's just what you believe. But anyway. Yeah. So we definitely we definitely got in there that the, the, the previous Monster Hunter company that had kind of like dominated the Los Angeles area. Uh, they had some they had some back channel communications that enabled them to to stay in business and well that works until some eldritch eldritch being in the redwoods eats you. Yeah, I kind of want to read that story honestly. When you mentioned it, I was like, oh, I want to read this. I do, <laughs> yeah, I so, do so, too. I love the redwoods. <laughs> well, that was one where where Jason and I were like, okay, so so um, we were just kind of brainstorming and it was like, well, we're moving MHI in here. Why weren't they here before? And the logical thing was just because somebody else had already cornered the market. And so we're like, well, we just got to get them out of the way. And so I just kind of threw in a throwaway line about how they had had their, their terrible end. But I also, we, we left some, um, we left some gaps there where they have like the potential to recruit former employees. So that's something that we can like, uh, we can play with in the future. I like leaving little nuggets in a book that you may or may not be able to to use for later later projects. Well, the other the other thing that surprised me about a book that I loved reading about it was it kind of leveraged some of your experience, Larry, in actually running a business. Right? It's like okay, we're going to open up into this new territory. Here's the strategy that we're going to use, and like you know, and nothing to do with killing. Well, it had I mean, the business is killing monsters, but. It was all about like how you open a new business in a new territory and how you go about, you got to have the, anyway, I don't, I, I should let you guys talk about it, but like t- talk well, us we, through that. Cause I thought that was fascinating. We didn't make it too nerdy, but uh, I mean, it was just a background, it was just challenges they're having to go through. And um, okay. So when Jason had, had this originally, he's like, one of the thing, one of the things that I enjoy a lot, and, and you can ask any of my collaborators about this as I'm the dude that loves to take um, secondary characters and kind of go nuts with them. And mm-hmm. I, I, yeah, Jason's nodding. Uh, it's kind of one of my things. I love that. That's just a personal, uh, it's, just, it's, a, it's a thing I love. And so the, a lot of that business stuff was just a chance to kind of get into that and um, kind of flesh those people out and give them those opportunities to try and fail and screw up and not be the best and to be good at some stuff, bad at others. Uh, we had a lot of fun with Rhino. Rhino grew a lot during this process. Yeah, he did. <laughs> Reluctant yeah. boss. Did not want to be in charge. Gets put in charge. Uh, and so that was one of those. So having him have to do these things that he really sucks at was fun, you know? And uh, and and so Jason actually uh, grabbed that character because this is a character that shows up briefly in the background of one of the John Ringo memoirs. Uh and so is Melanie. 
And so we had these two characters that were just kind of like background characters in the Ringo books that just like are in pass passing. And Jason grabbed those. He's like, Hey, this is 10 years earlier. Let's use these guys. Uh, and then Liz is based on a real person. Uh, she's, she's, uh, she's a member of the uh, monster hunter international fan page, the hunters unite fan page over on Facebook. And we love Liz. And uh, yeah. So Jason asked Liz if he could red shirt her. And uh, we had a lot of fun with her as a character. She was pretty. She was pretty badass. Yeah, I did not tell her beforehand what book she was going to get redshirted in. She thought it was just going to be one of mine, and she's oh. like, "Yeah, she could redshirt me." And I was like, "I, I didn't <laughs> tell her until Larry told her that she she was in it." And I was like, "Darn, I was going to keep that a secret." But okay, that's cool. That's cool. I mean, and she's effectively cute. the dead, like dead eye, right? The dead eyed sniper. Yeah. Yeah. yeah we, so it was, yeah. So so she's a real person. We had a lot of fun with Liz. Made her a badass. <laughs> well i like the, there's a scene i don't want to give too much away but it's just like that look guys i can't do this i can't do that right. i don't do this i don't do that but i can kill a lycanthropist you know lycanthropist you know 700 meters or i have the i have the i have the record for you know killing one at uh you know longest range in monster hunter history something like that yeah so. I, I hold the company all-time record championship for long distance werewolf kill <laughs> from the top of the san st louis arch <laughs> oh i missed that i i that's impre- that's definitely impressive that is definitely impressive yeah. all right so how do you guys i mean how do you keep track of all this stuff. So even like when you're talking about expanding the business, like we're going to open this in Las Vegas and, and, you know, we're going to look at the ter- it was San Francisco and this and that, how do you keep track of all that? Do you have like a great big book of lore that you kind of keep track of? Or are you just kind of like, oh, I just kind of remember that I wrote this in this book. A little of each. Uh, there a lot of stuff is codified kind of like, because I wrote about it in a previous monster hunter book. So it's set in stone as in it. I, I said it happened there. It must've happened. And other stuff was like, I don't know. I never mentioned that before. Like we know we have a Las Vegas team now. So obviously it started at some point. And so we figured in the seventies is something that we could talk about the feasibility of doing, you know, and we didn't actually get there. Um, I probably should do a better job actually. Now that I have so many people working in this universe, mm-hmm. Uh, I probably should do a better job keeping track of all of it because we really should have like a Wikipedia of just all the different Monster Hunter stuff that's been referred to and established. It's gigantic. I, it's kind of I ridiculous. bet you you could get like a fan effort going and they you know might build some big book of Monster Hunter lore or something like that. But anyway, the bad thing just is they start doing that, they're going to find all the places where I screwed up and contradicted <laughs> myself. That's bound to have happened. I mean, as many books as there are, I, I bet I've done that. Yeah. So when I when I was doing my bit of it, I had all of his books, all of his collabs with Ringo. I also had the MHI RPG rulebook game, which as be. well. Which for for reference, and then mm. I also had I had the I had the ebook files of all those as well up on the so I had like this multi setup, and I just like zoom it all over the place, search, search, search. If I couldn't find it on there, I'd go to the books. Although they almost always lined up exactly, so yeah, I, I, I do a pretty good job on that. And then there's part, and then we got to do the Monster Hunter files, and you get all the short stories. That's when it gets really complicated. That's a lot of work. Um, yeah, <laughs> and there are parts where Jason would just tag me and just like leave a note, and it's like, dude, I don't know what this is. You know, this is a thing you had, but I don't know what it is. And I'm like, I don't either. Let's figure it out. Because <laughs> sometimes I have a secret plan. 
And other times, I don't know, I just threw out some, oh, that was a such and such. I, you know, I don't know what it does. <laughs> well, I think when you're speaking about Rhino in particular, he, he may have had an issue with a giant beaver. Like, oh my gosh. Where did, they, oh. where okay. did that thing come from? Okay, okay. So the beaver was Jason's idea. So Jay, the beaver was With was horns, Jason's. with horns, yeah. just to add. Yeah. The I'm trying to remember how the mini Miniawatu. I'm probably Miniwatu. saying that. Yep. So that was Jason's idea. This is actually a creature from folklore. Um, and, and so he had the idea. And so this is where he stuck in a whole bunch of one-liners, right? And he's thinking, all right, Larry's probably going to make me take a lot of these out. No, no, no. I, I added about twice as many in. I was like, all right, if we're going to commit to this bit, we might as well have fun with it. And so, yeah, uh, <laughs> that was that was a fun bit. Well, it was a <laughs> great intro. It was a great introduction to the Monster Control Bureau as well in this for the for the protagonist. Yeah, she actually originally she wasn't as because uh, <laughs> you know in the seventies the the Monster Control Bureau lady the seventies weren't really women weren't really yet in the government workforce so to see mm -hmm. her out in the field it kind of took them back like whoa wait a minute who's who's this and then she's such a bad I mean woof. That 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 lady was tough. <laughs> I liked her. I liked her. Uh, and we yeah we so she was actually that was a character that actually grew during the during the, the process. Uh, so we're gonna bring her back, I think, just because she was she was pretty freaking hard as nails. <laughs> She's like tough school marm lady. That 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 beaver fight was this great intro to the team. Cause you got a bunch of dudes who are veterans or badasses. They've handled their business. Some of them are experienced, some of them are inexperienced, but even the inexperienced guys are all like tough dudes. Right. Like, 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 right. uh, uh, they're tough guys, but then you get them in this situation and it's so freaking absurd and they're getting their asses handed to them <laughs> by a giant beaver and it's just breaking everything. And it's just hilarious. It's awful. And, uh, and just the, the line, some of the dialogue in there, like, what do you do? Yeah. I want to get a carrot. I'm going to try to feed it a carrot. There's <laughs> like, throw a sheet over its head. See if that will calm it down. It's like, it's not a parrot. <laughs> it's definitely a great scene for, you know, because they're all, you know, all one track mind going into it. Like, you know, we're ready. We got all our bullets ready. Like, everything is. We're going to kill this monster. <laughs> no, no, we're going to capture it. What? <laughs> <laughs> wait, 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 what? We're capture it and transport it back to Montana. They're like, what? <laughs> and yeah. it's a perfect introduction to California. Like, it's perfect. <laughs> I think we even had like the avocado colored uh, appliances and that's, I can't remember. Yeah, but, uh, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. The shag uh, carpets and all that shag stuff. Rug, avocado uh, appliances. Bowling trophies. <laughs> a lot of bowling trophies. Of bowling yeah, that was it. That was a great sequence. I love so I love those characters. I, I, I think it's a fun team. It was a good team. We had a lot of fun with those guys. Uh, I love Justin, the the, the guy from Chicago, because that was a thing. Yeah. So I, I I grew the, up around the a Vietnam guy. vet, right? Yes, yeah. So I grew up around a guy who was the same kind of thing. Came from a really super rough background, um, and it was like, and at one point, a judge gave him the option of um, you know join the military or go to jail as a young man. And so when Jason had a character like that already, like, like, and I was like, I saw Jason had that. I was like, Oh dude, we're going to have fun with this guy. Like, and we did. And I love that. I love it. Cause he was actually, 
the most pragmatic, no BS dude there. And he was the one guy who trusted the main character the least. I don't want to give any spoilers, but the, right. the some of the sequences between him and her, because everybody handles it different. Like like the revelation that our teammate is not entirely human. And and, and so that there's exchange between there's one exchange where she's like, Hey, you never talk about your past. And he's like, I robbed the liquor store. Your dad eats hearts. <laughs> It's like I, I particularly like the the cholo scene where. Oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not going to say that. Like, no, you said it right. Say more. Yeah, that was a great so, scene. Okay, so that's actually based on a true event. Um, I was dating this girl in California, and she was a photographer. Larry actually didn't realize when he re he went back and fixed the scene afterwards. I was like, "Hey, you nailed my ex girlfriend. Cool." Um, <laughs> And that sounded that sounded far not what you meant to, to sound like. We'll just ignore that. Keep going. One liners at one liners. <laughs> <laughs> but she gets out of the car in the middle of the freaking body, and I'm like, "What are you doing?" She's like, "It's safe. You're with me." I'm like, "I, I yes, I'm Hispanic, but dear, look at the skin tone. We gonna get jumped or at least stabbed. I don't know." And they start coming over and like hit on it. And she just yells at them in Spanish. She spoke better Spanish than I did. And I'm like, what'd you say? We're at it. Got back in the car. And I was like, what'd you do? She's like, I want to take pictures of that graffiti over there. I was like, you're crazy. <laughs> <laughs> but then, then when Larry went back and rewrote it, I'm like, hey, he nailed he the scene. He he was like, he was there. This is really scary. Yeah. And I, I had no idea about the, about the, about the, the actual being based on actual events. It was a great scene. Uh, and it was just a chance to kind of develop the whole, uh, the historical angle. I was like, oh, wait a minute. This is my dad's stuff. It shouldn't be on this side of the border. Yeah. Th this is, that is not the rules, man. You you keep that crap over there because like she's, she's got some issues with her family. And so seeing her dad's symbolism in America was like highly, you know, she, she's got issues with her father. Yeah, I don't want to give uh, too much away, but yeah, I love that guy. Yeah, the daddy issues are. Yeah, go ahead, Jason. You're gonna say something. No, I, I'm la I'm laughing at I'm agreeing as well because it's just so much of the mythology that we we were able to pick from was I mean we didn't just stick with Aztecs we hit Mayans Olmecs we hit everything down there because in the end it, they don't care what what nation you're from as long as you worship the them. Yeah, we, we we had some fun with that, and then um, her dad is just such a dick, but he's actually really cool, and he changed a lot as we were working on this too. Yeah, mm -hmm. um, and so it went. He was fatherly, yet exceedingly kind of alien. You know, you know what I mean. This like this like yeah. this is not th this is not a normal entity that we were dealing with here. This is a thing beyond beyond Cuban comprehension, and that's dad. Yet at the same time, he's still dad. Yeah, he's a horrible was, father. Was, horrible, horrible yeah, father. Horrible dad. Horrible. <laughs> but at the same time, in, compared to the other fathers, he's actually dad of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. I mean, so it's like, ah, sacrifice hundreds of thousands of people to me as I demand it, but I really want what's best for you. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, I mean, there's some people out there that aren't much different, believe it or not. Um, yeah, we yeah had, un unfortunately, we had some fun with that, and then basically, and then anytime we would find some little 
tidbits of mythology that we could have fun with that we would kind of like roll roll it in there and, and get a different take on it setting it in la enabled us to get into a lot of that stuff that i mean because if you've been there you know it's 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 right there it's right it's right next door and it's it's a it's a part of the culture and so having those little influences show up in los angeles kind of like on the underground well, it was cool it was fun it was fun to do that and having it kind of like cr- the whole evil human sacrifice dark magic thing being right under like this 1970s sleazy disco uh scene eh, that worked pretty dang good actually <laughs> well i mean there's it. actually uh, th- there was actually a newspaper report in like the early 40s about you see the lizard people of los angeles like they had these like t- they found these tunnels and there's this guy that was digging trying to figure out so it's not like it's not outside the realm of possibility in terms of like stuff being underneath that oh, man. weird weird crap in the la basin is like uh that that's just that's just la anyway mm-hmm. and uh but people like like myth and legend in la it goes back forever i mean louis lamour louis lamour used that stuff writing you know uh whenever he'd get in the californios he'd get into the weird multi-dimensional stuff that was going on there it's kind of fun so <laughs> we got to have some we got i enjoy i enjoyed it was fun playing in that setting because i actually avoided i grew up in california but i've avoided using it as a setting in most of the stuff i've written just because mm-hmm. so much fiction is set there you know because of hollywood but this being a 1970s thing to me it was fun because it was a chance to like come at it from a different angle you know and not just be L.A. because that's where all the writers are, so they write what they know. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, there's also, I mean, you even started in Pasadena, which uh, you ever you guys ever follow uh, Jack Parsons, like the founder of uh, Caltech? He no. he was tied to Alistair Crowley. They were tied to L. Ron Hubbard. Like it was a weird 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 uh scene but la weird, definitely weird has a culty ate a lot of mushrooms in the desert kind of thing yep yeah 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 rich yeah strange rituals all sorts of stuff but um in terms of you also have kind of raymond chandler's you know kind of the santa Ana winds you guys talk about whatever the devil winds all that it just there's a lot of weird uh and rich history that you got a chance to play with Really what did big you... snake. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody Say ever more. Say more. giant snakes before. And you mentioned him previously. Have you ever killed a giant snake? No. Well, wait till you've seen one. I was like, how come he's never actually had a giant snake? And I was like, I need a giant snake. And I was like, wait, wait. It needs to be a rattlesnake. Because we, if we're going to be up in that, if we're going to be in Santa Clarita, we need a rattlesnake. Yep. Yeah. Well, and... Uh... Because I've referred to snakes. In fact, okay, there's a song that I like. It's just kind of a, it's an instrumental song. It's on my playlist for writing. It's called Glasgow Mega Snake. So at one point in Monster Hunter, when I referred to like different creatures they run into the year, I referred to as the the Glasgow Mega Snake. As a thing, like, <laughs> that was the thing. But it's just because that's the song title of a song that I had on my writing playlist. Um, so. Yeah, so clearly there were giant snakes in the Monster Hunter universe. We'd just never seen one. So when Jason had one show up, we had some fun with that. It's like, why is that man going to chop up that snake? It's like, well, that's perfectly good barbecue, ma'am. 
<laughs> oh no, sir, because at that point it was the replacement guy. And it's like, no, you do not get to feed the giant snake to the public. <laughs> That's how you get snake people, is it? I don't know, but you could. <laughs> Yeah, it's like, that's how you get snake people. Really? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there are definitely a lot of good one-liners in this thing. So what would you say kind of the... These things, sometimes some authors do this in advance. I, I would say probably very few because it's hard to do. Most realize it in hindsight. But what would you say the most common themes that emerged from this book were or are? Hmm. The humor. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is probably one of the more humorous Monster Hunter books. I think so. But yeah. I was going to say, it's like deeper theme. I think one that came about not necessarily um, on purpose, but I think it kind of evolved as a book one. It's definitely got a, like some stuff about connotations about faith family mm -hmm. uh because you, know, you got chloe dealing with her family that she basically does not like and fled from into her adopted family and then because basically she had a falling out with her family and is not really a falling out but a um a, an issue with her family in israel or she had to abandon the family that she built uh and then basically going back to monster hunter which was one of her first like basically surrogate families mm -hmm. and this kind of like the relationships between her and her teammates as they learn what she is and they either accept it or don't. Uh, and then we get like, we, we see the Shacklefords, uh, which is a fam continuing family in the Monster Hunter series get involved. And uh, so I would say there's definitely some themes about the nature of family and uh, the, the one you're born into and the ones you pick. Mm -hmm. So. Jason, anything to add? Well, that's way more philosophical than I thought. But now that he mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, we did do that, didn't we? Wow. Not on purpose, <laughs> but I was just reading it and I was like, yeah, this is definitely a family book. <laughs> yeah, and, and the, the really, really cool part of it is it also, which you did, is it ties into bloodlines very nicely. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so in bloodlines, I was dealing with, so at the time, uh jason was working on the rough of this and had pitched it to me mm -hmm. um i was working on bloodlines and so bloodlines they wind up in south america at the very end of the next book uh which is probably called monster hunter trespass uh takes place uh it starts in south america and i was dealing with some of these basically these, these fake courts anyway and so when jason had the court of feathers was was what he was thinking of calling it I was like, that actually works perfect for what I was going anyway for a thing that I hadn't named yet. Uh, basically drawing a pebble. So, so for me, the timing of this was actually kind of perfect. Um, mm -hmm. And then I needed some basically breadcrumbs uh, anyway. So I was able to seed those through Monster Hunter bloodlines that actually do connect it to Fever. Even though Fever was like so much later in the development of the series, uh, just because of where I was at in the regular series, I was able to tie the two together and, and get some of those hints in there. Plus, getting Leroy Shackelford in there, because Leroy is a character we've mentioned many times, and there's a big reveal at the end of Monster Hunter Bloodlines about, really, the bloodline I'm talking about in this book is not the bloodline that most people thought I was talking about in this book, and they find that out at the end. And so it was actually nice to have something set in the 1970s, because then I was able to grab Leroy, and we could get him in there and actually introduce him 
as a young man in the prime of his life uh, to the readers. And so he kind of shows up at the end and you get to, you get to meet Leroy a little bit. And those who've read bloodlines kind of know why that matters. Well, he even shows up in the middle very briefly in terms of like the smooth talker who, who yeah, cool. in the contracts. Well, and you can see where the smooth talking gets handed down uh, the smooth mm-hmm. talking and emotional manipulation skills. <laughs> only, only one of them is a man of honor with those, with those uh, salesman skill sets, a man, that, a complete sociopath. <laughs> with those same skill sets. Um, yeah, Leroy is the Leroy is the smooth Shackleford, you know. So, yeah, I had, I had some fun. Gets all the girls' attention when he first pulls up. <laughs> yeah, he's just a cool dude. Okay, so one one influence on this, even though it's set about probably five or six years later, seven years later, uh, mm-hmm. but I was watching uh, rewatching all of Magnum PI is what I've been binge streaming with my wife, and it's just kind of funny because like if you actually take those same characters, they're about the, the right age. Uh, Magnum mm-hmm. and his crew are about the same age as the monster hunters in this book. I just thinking like the cool, suave, uh, just confident, even, even when he's dorky, he's just awesome. Of, of Magnum, Leroy's got big, that, yeah, the big mustache and like handlebar mustache. And yeah. it's just cool, man. It just whatever he does, he's just cool, you know. And uh, even when he's being a dork, he's cool, and everybody recognizes that this dude is just cool, right? And that's Leroy. And so, like, when they pull in and uh, and immediately all these, like, jaded monster hunters are like, man, this guy's a badass. <laughs> so that was pretty all fun right. to get him in there. All right. So, Larry, in terms of all the cities that currently have a monster hunter operation, what cities don't that are on your radar that should have them that's a weird question but i figured I'd throw that out there in the modern in the modern setting right now yeah in the modern setting hmm. i i have no idea i don't know because usually what happens is something will bring some area I, i've been all over america i mean i've been i've been, hmm. uh, I've been to because mhi is american company uh, they don't have any overseas offices. They do consulting overseas, and they'll do missions overseas, but they're based in the U.S. Off the top of my head, I don't know. I've tried to leave that kind of loose with references. Like, I've established where certain teams are, but I've left others open. And then and through, uh, like, the Monster Hunter file short stories, other writers have established the existence of other teams, and I have approved those. But I've left it kind of vague, especially as the series has gone on and we've established that others have been created since uh, since someone got there and the, the, the main series started and the MHA was kind of like starting over, you know, from scratch. Um, I don't know. If I go to some place and I get like a really good idea, very possible I'll stick one there. <laughs> I mean, but I've been all I've been to every major city in the U.S. Uh, except for Miami. Miami is the last major U.S. city I've not been to. And so I, I got to take a trip there, but I've already established they've got one. <laughs> yeah. Well, that, that's the, that's the, speaking of, speaking of being like master manipulators, right. In that meeting, it's, she thinks she's going to Miami. And by the end of the meeting, she's choosing people for the, the, the Los Angeles office. Right. Oh yeah. That seems great too. Cause remember Ray Shackelford, we've established because Ray, we've met a lot, but we've only seen Ray as an old man. Uh, but then in, in uh, the Ringo books, we see him as like a, kind of like the 
a statesman, and then in, in the regular MHA series, he's the elder statesman. He's an old, he's old, old in, in the regular series. Um, so, so getting him in there, and he's not as good as Leroy when it comes to manipulating people. But even mm-hmm. then, that meeting, he just kind of takes Chloe and he's like, we're here. <laughs> and next thing you know, she's having to like do recruiting, even though she like totally didn't want to do that. And yeah, that was fun. That was a fun so sequence. The, the, the discussion scene where she was trying to negotiate against Earl and Ray was very, was fun because she's trying to, she wanted Cody, couldn't get Cody. She wanted um, Carlos Alhambra, couldn't get Carlos. Because you know he's Massachusetts Hispanic. There's a totally different. Thing. <laughs> you know that's one of the things because too. So as I was looking at so when we we're putting this scene together, I was like, who in the MHI universe is old enough uh, that they would have been uh, uh, viable young characters at this point? And it was really mm-hmm. those two guys. And so that had never been established before. But it was like, all right, they were in the same newbie class. You know that got established. And Cody, we had in the series, because that dude is a badass. That dude has done everything, been everywhere, seen everything, has tried to retire for the last decade and can't because I keep needing him. Um, so having a chance to have that dude, uh, just he's not even on screen, just talking about him. But just Chloe talking about it. everybody who's read the series is like, oh, yeah, that's the New Mexico guy. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the science team guy. And they're like, oh. And then Carlos is the guy with the really – those of you read the series, tragic ending. I mean, that dude had a tragic, tragic end. Uh, but he was he was a great hunter. And so having those two, so they're like, all right, Chloe, you can take take your pick, whoever you want. And she's like, this guy. Right. No, you can't have him. <laughs> well, this guy. No, you can't have him either. <laughs> well, you're going to get this one who you don't want at all. Right. Yeah, this one you don't want, you get her. <laughs> but now, now you can have your first pick. <laughs> that was that was a good bit. Which well, turns actually, out to oh, go ahead. Well, for for Kimpton, uh, uh, one of the one of the Vietnam vets. Uh, that was one of the guys. It was actually funny because I because when we, we were writing him, I'm, this was when I going back to guys I grew up around. I wanted to have one of the guys be kind of like you know America, f yeah, apple pie, you know, mom waving the American flag, but who went and just got disillusioned. Cause I knew guys like that. Uh, I mean, growing up, I knew guys who like, they were as young men were like, yeah, this is the right thing to do. And then they went and they're like, yeah, the government sucks and they hate us and they're going to screw us. And so I had a, had a guy like that. And so I actually even looked up, uh, well, we added Montana cause we wouldn't have the, the whole thing with eating the snake, but um, I actually looked up who was the state champion football team in like 1967 or 68, whatever year we decided he graduated high school, and it was Butte, Montana. <laughs> and ergo, he was from Butte, Montana. <laughs> no, that, that was fun. They're a good, good crew. Now, in, in terms of going back to the this particular book and going back to the the narrative about expanding, will there will there be any? sequels to this particular narrative in california um okay so behind the scenes um at this point in my career i'm not really competing against other authors i'm competing against myself you know what i mean i only have so much time so with bay and uh they want books from me but it's like okay so every time i try something different they want to see how it works out 
And if it's worth it, then invest more and get more contracts and do that. Otherwise, I can keep doing just regular, you know, like Son of the Black Sword pays a lot. Monster Hunter pays a lot. Regular Monster Hunter by myself pays a lot. So when I do a collaboration, it's kind of an experiment. Uh, mm -hmm. That said, we have gotten the uh, the numbers now, and uh, I'm pretty sure this is a successful experiment. Uh, would you say, Jason? Uh, yeah, yeah. It's uh, the last time I talked to Tony, she was like, "You need to talk to Larry. Uh, we we need to get this going." It's like he's a busy man. I'm sorry, I'm not going <laughs> to force it. So yeah, there's going to be sequels. Um, at this point, yeah, the um, uh, the reception of this has been really good. People are loving it. They're really enjoying it. The reviews are fantastic. Uh, the sales have been great. Um, we hit number one urban fantasy audiobook on Audible, which is huge. I mean, the, the hardcover's done good. The ebook's done good, but the the audiobook has done insane. Um, we got a really good narrator, uh, Annika Chavez, and so just across the board. Yeah, it's been a big hit. So yeah, I think we we're going to proceed. And we're gonna, we have more stories. We have more ideas. We let, like I said, we let a lot of breadcrumbs and threads. So yeah, now I just need to like brainstorm this with Jason in between getting the next book done. Well, what what are you two working on now? What what are the, kind of the next few projects? Well, Jason's got a big one. He's he's. Uh, I saw I saw his update today. Yeah, I, I'm literally wrapping up my Black Tide Rising novel uh, set in John Ringo's Black Tide Rising. Um, it's uh, on top of Mountain of Fire. And oh, wow. It, it's I wrote a short story in We Shall Rise, which got the cover of the Catholic School Girls against the Appalachia Rex, the basically the guy who's trying to be the warlord of Virginia. Uh, and the Catholic School is the only thing standing in the way. And uh, I wrote another short story for the next one coming out in April, and Tony and it was a little long. And Tony pulled it and said, "You know what? Let's make this a novel instead." So that's pretty uh, cool. Yeah, that's I really was, cool. I was like, "Okay, yeah, I have no issues turning this into a book." And when when do you think it'll be available? Uh, I think I, I, Tony mentioned fall next year. Okay. And have you finished it yet? Uh, it's, I'm, I'm right. I've got to write the last. Okay. So I'm learning one of the things I'm really appreciating about this collaboration with Larry is I'm learning how to write certain things better. I've always mm -hmm. been decent at fight scenes. Larry's like much better. At, I mean, that's his jam. So I've been, well, to be fair, yeah, that's my jam. I mean, I've got a rep for right. that. So that's kind of my thing. So, and I have a rep for killing everybody. So, you know, I'm trying to. <laughs> I, yeah, you gotta, made him, I made him kill a few less characters. I'm like, dude, we need to yeah. work. We need these people if we get sequels. <laughs> <laughs> but so I, I I had to, I'm in the middle of this writing this final sequence right now. And it's just, it's nuts. It's like just this armored vehicle tearing through a town full of zombies with a nun a catholic scroll girl and a hillbilly older than god up in the turret with a grand as a driving prime trying to get all the zombies to follow them <laughs> that's all i gotta write right now but it's it's carnage and it's it's fun <laughs> oh and then it's fun to write the, the monster hunter files anthology i just got the first story turned in yesterday yeah, and I'm actually got a couple people email me with like their pitches for what they want to write for their stories, and I got to go over those and make sure they're okay. Um, and yeah, then we got to wrangle. We got a couple people we haven't heard back from yet, and we got yeah, we got to wrangle. It's the whole, it's that whole thing. 
Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> You've done it. You've done it many times. You know. Yeah, my my favorites are the like it's coming, it's coming. I swear Dude, it's coming, that's it's coming. Me. You, as you know, that's me. It's like, hey, Larry, this is due tomorrow. It's like, oh no, wow. no, it's yeah, it, 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 it's it's the right? ones it's the ones who say it's coming, it's coming, and it never comes because they oh I finished, I finished, and it's not done, it's not written, it's. And at that point, you're like, okay, who's next on the list? Okay, let's call this person and have them write something. I'm, I'm the dude that, like, I'll agree to it. And then the, the editor pings me a week before they need it. Hey, Larry, how's that going? I'm like, ah, uh, it's going great. <laughs> As I start to write it. Um, but I get him, I get him out the door pretty quick. Uh, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm working on Graveyard of Demons, which is the final book in the Son of the Black Sword, uh, the, the Saga of the Forgotten Warrior series. So... Um, about halfway through on that, my goal is to have it done entirely by the end of the year and into Tony. Release date, I have no idea. So that's it'll probably I, be it'll probably be within fall, a year, hopefully. Fall yeah. twenty twenty four as well. Yeah, because this is this one is in big demand, and also that'll put it basically ten years from the first one to the last one for a, for the series. Uh, and it is actually kind of nice right now from a marketing perspective to be able to say. This is a complete and final wrapped up epic fantasy series. Um, that's kind of a big deal in the genre right now because there's so many that the authors have like left people hanging. Uh, so it'll be good to have that that done. And I, I'm really enjoying it. I love that series. So I'm looking forward to it. So Larry, for esteemed uh, literary authors like George R.R. R. Martin, how many novels have you written in the last 10 years? Um. I figured it up one time since the last George R. R. Martin book came out. I think I wrote 23 books uh, or the last Game of Thrones novel. Cause he's done like, he put his name on some other stuff, but yeah, I think it was 23 novels and I, it was like 40 something, 50 something short stories, some novellas, that kind of thing. So yeah. How many, how many years ago was that? Oh geez. It's been a decade. Hasn't it? I, don't know, I looked up the date, Tw- 12, years. Up the date okay. one time. Yeah. 12 years. 12 years. Yeah, so I pulled up the date, and uh, it was just kind of like a little challenge we did on Facebook one time for author inspiration. I was like, hey, authors, are you feeling down? Are you feeling like you suck and you don't get – I want you to – this is the, from this date, list all the books you've written since this date, and all the authors did. And I was like, yeah, that's when the last George R. R. Martin came with Thrones off. And so the guys were like – even guys were like beating themselves like, oh, I'm so slow. And they're like, you got their six or eight novels. They're like, oh, I guess I'm okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, I was a little surprised when I was like, hey, I've written 16 since then? What? Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah, I was like 22 or 23 or something, something like that when I did it. Yeah, it was, it's crazy. But what's the secret in terms of cranking these things out pretty quickly? What's oh, your, man, what's your I'm, method? Not, I'm, I'm not even quick. I'm just, I'm, I'd say I'm more consistent than quick. Uh hmm. I just, I, I try to grind. And the thing is, I say I shoot for 10,000 words a week. Um, but do I always do that? Oh, no, not even close. But that's what I shoot for. And uh, sometimes I make it, sometimes I fail. But sometimes I write 20,000 words in a week. You know, you, but so sometimes you, you dick around on your computer for several hours and don't get anything done because you're arguing with morons on Twitter uh, instead of writing. But then you go and you write 6,000 words because you just unlock whatever that mental hump was so i shoot for 10k a week i do not hit that all year because that takes into account editing time and other projects and all that jazz and you know living life but I, I i shoot for two books a year is what it actually works out to be and that's been fairly consistent for 15 years yeah i mean 
it's actually very achievable, like 10,000 yeah. words. Like that's a book every 10 weeks. If you didn't have to go back and edit right. and go through all the other and, stuff in your life. And clearly right? I don't do five books a year. Right. I, I do two books a year and then some other stuff. So really do I hit my 10 K a week? Oh no, not, not nearly, but that's what I, that's what I shoot for. Um, but I said, but, but if you do two books a year pretty consistently, then next thing you know, you got a gigantic backlist. It doesn't take that long to have a good backlist and then you're doing okay. Uh, it depends on the book size too. Cause I, my books are like a hundred and, 130 140,000 words on average like oh yeah 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 you, you instantly did the math i was doing 100,000 words yeah 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 so i i'm close to like th when you throw in the like i'll do a novella a year and some shorts a year i i actually so my goal was like 500k really i hit like 300 to 350 a year is really what i do of paying writing mm -hmm. um so honestly but yeah you just keep you know, shooting for it and you'll get pretty close and pretty close is still pretty dang good. So. Yeah. Uh, it's, How about it's you, Jason? Like, How do you do oh, it? Just like Larry was, Larry told me once, you can't treat it like a hobby if you want to succeed as a business. You got to treat it like a job. And so I, every day I got to sit down after I get off my regular job, which is working at Bain, going home and writing and working on it there. And every day I try to get between 500 to 1,000 words down. If I can do that every day, consistently seven days a week, that that adds up. It does. It doesn't actually take like people. People talk about how it take, takes all this time. You got to polish and massage, and no, not really. And the, because what happens is, the more you do this, the less you have to polish and massage because you get it right mm -hmm. the first time. I spend way less time editing now than I did when I started out. Like I would back in the old days, I would write a book in three months or two months and then i would spend three months polishing it you know um to, to, and now it's like i'll spend five months writing the book i'm done <laughs> you know and uh because you get better at it and so like this whole thing was like well i need time for unhurried imaginings oh no no you don't no you don't that's not how this stuff works guys don't don't fall for that rt farty bull crap you know what helps with un unguided imaginings pressure <laughs> mortgage mortgage payments uh, yeah so yeah. so a little off for fever larry and i were um i guess we can admit we were very past our deadline <laughs> oh yeah mostly we're my very, fault Mo actually almost entirely my fault i i will take full responsibility i was not gonna throw you under the bus <laughs> no, no no this is my fault this is all me yeah so, i'm so a busy guy we got the copy edits back. And we're like, okay, this is what you need to fix. And it was the line edits. And Tony did our line editing. We had that turned around and back to bait in like 30 hours. It was, <laughs> I stayed up wow. all night doing the edits. Larry Larry and I were going back and forth on the edits. Like, it was nuts. I've never turned around and edit that fast in my life. Yeah, we were, if we were going to have an e-arc, it was like, you need to get this done now. And that's, like I said, this is my fault. I got a lot going on because what it is, I squeezed in one extra book. So I did a nonfiction book in defense of the second amendment yep. during the time frame that I would have been doing fever. So we still got fever done in the time needed to get it out, but I squeezed in an entire extra book during the time I was writing fever. And so, yeah, so that was entirely my fault. Uh, I take full responsibility, but we did still make it in time. So it wasn't late. Well, I guess it was late, but it was contractually late. But Larry, 
mortgage payments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But it was uh but it was good. So and the book came out, I think, really, really good. I'm really I, I'm pleased with how this book turned out. And I think the fans are loving it. So I'm having a great time. All right. Um, any kind of last advice for fans, teasers for fans, or hmm. also advice for authors? Oh man. Okay, so advice for authors, look up Writer Dojo. I've got like a hundred something episodes of my writing advice. There's plenty to choose from. Me and Steve and, and, do that. And, and like and like and subscribe. It helps if you have subscribers on YouTube and, you know. Yep. Okay, so one thing we can't, te- uh, 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 Jason, one thing I do that I wish we had a way to tease this because one thing we know even before we knew we were having sequels, we knew we were doing involves agent Franks in the 1970s. And we cannot tell you guys what it is, Mm. but it actually ties into several other monster hunter novels, uh, big time. And it is hilarious and awesome. And it ties into monster hunter nemesis really well, but Oh my gosh, dude, is there a way we could tease that, that you could think of without ruining it? No. No. Is there, okay. Are there any questions I can ask on the edge of it that would provide you both with plausible deniability? Do you like Marvin Gaye? That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say that um, I got nothing. There's like no way I can tease this without ruining it. So I'm not saying yeah. anything. But it's awesome. Yeah. yeah. But it's going to be great. We can't tease the the villain, the main villain who's been pulling the strings this whole time. And that, I don't know, I don't want to spoil the name of it, but that was a very deliberate name choice. Very deliberate. Yeah. Uh, the villain for Fever. Yeah, who we actually wound up buffing, like, uh, like as we went on. Like, we, 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 we buffed that to, like, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty, it's going to be pretty freaking cool. Yeah, I think I think people are going to like it. Whatever this Agent Frank's thing manifestation is, when when <laughs> when can we expect to learn more? Um, we need to brainstorm, and I need to finish Graveyard of Demons. <laughs> yes. Okay. <laughs> He's got, and plus, I also I want to see the uh, the next Age of Ravens book. Yeah, actually, so Steve Steve Diamond's working on the uh, working on his rough draft. So we did the outline for that together, and now he's working on the first pass. Um, and problem there is Steve is swamped. That poor guy, man, he is yeah. he is working his butt off. So he's had a bunch of books come out this year too, uh, with Michael yeah. Rothman, and and uh, and he's got a he's got a book deal uh, for some sci fi novels now too. So that dude is that dude is slammed. <laughs> It's good to be busy, though. Pays the yeah. mortgage. Good, Beats good the stuff. alternative. Mm-hmm. That's right. That's right. Jason, any final words? Uh, yeah. Subscribe to the, subscribe to the YouTube channel here, Bane. I mean, how many Bane Free Radio hours are, do we have up here now? It's a lot. A lot. Yeah. Again, it doesn't cost anything. You just hit subscribe. You know, you might have to sign up for an account. Just create a sock puppet, puppet account. It doesn't matter. Subscribers are good. Hit like, comment. Again, it just helps Bane's channel grow. It's all all good stuff in the end. And also, buy buy these books. Right, you can get it. It's it's available now. Right. 
Yeah, it's out now. Uh, it, it's such a fun book. I, I'm normally I always find something to criticize about my stuff. This one, I'm like, man, I wish we had more time because we could have put so much more stuff in. Yeah, that was I, 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 I love collaborating with different authors, and I've learned stuff, and I've collaborated with more authors than probably dang near anybody at this point. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, honestly, anybody probably that other than Eric, Eric Flint, you know. But honestly, like. Uh, and Jason was a pleasure to work with. I mean, he was awesome. He had great ideas and was just fun and just tackled everything in like, what is the funnest possible way to tackle this? So, so it was, it's, it's been a good project. All right, gentlemen, as always a pleasure and good luck on your next novels and series. And, and I can't wait to see what this agent Frank's thing is. I wish I could tell you. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying. I'm trying. I know I'll get all of us in trouble. So thank you both. And now we bring you our audiobook serialization of Tinker by Wynne Spencer. Inventor girl genius Tinker lives in a near future Pittsburgh, which now exists mostly in the land of the elves. She runs her salvage business pays her taxes, and tries to keep the local ambient level of magic down with gadgets of her own design. When a pack of wargs chase an elven noble into her scrapyard, life as she knows it takes a serious detour. Tinker finds herself taking on the elven court, the NSA, the elven interdimensional agency, technology smugglers, and a college-minded xenobiologist as she tries to stay focused on what's really important, her first date. Armed with an intelligence the size of a planet, steel-toed boots, and a junkyard dog attitude, Tinker is ready to kick butt to get her first kiss. Lane slid onto the bench beside Tinker as she finished the hamburger. How's your hand? Good. Tinker licked her fingers clean and showed Lane her palm. Lane examined it quietly, nodding at the pale scars. She closed up Tinker's hand, ending the examination, but continued to hold it. I want to warn you about elves bearing gifts. Huh? Windwolf gifted me with a new garden. Tinker looked without thought in the direction of Lane's house, but the swell of Observatory Hill was in the way. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Yes, that is the question, isn't it? Tinker winced at her carefully neutral tone. What did they do? They were very considerate in putting everything they dug up into pots, and I have to say that the specimens they planted are stunning. I dare guess that I have a garden to rival the queen's now. They dug up Lane's flowers? Lane's work made it almost impossible for Lane to return to Earth. In Pittsburgh, she was as much in exile as she would be on Europa. And more importantly, the garden of Earth flowers she loved was a salve for not being in space. Oh, Lane, I'm sorry. Lane hid away some of the pain in her eyes. I can't say I'm completely displeased. Much of the garden would not have survived the root damage that the truck did. It would have taken me weeks just to fill the ruts. The new plants are all extremely valuable. It would have taken me years of wheedling to get any one. But it's not your garden of earth flowers. No, Lane admitted. It's not. I'm sorry. I'm really sorry. 
Lane gave her a small, sad smile that vanished away before a look of true worry. I'm nervous about what Windwolf might gift on you. Me? There's no telling what he might decide to give you. I doubt he'll give me anything. There's still the matter of the life debt. Windwolf said that we weren't even. Tinker choked to a halt. We drove all over Lane's flower beds. I told her I would go to college to make it up to her. Oh, gods, he didn't replace the flowers because of what I said. Or did he? Tinker? What else did I say? But she couldn't even remember exactly what she had said. The conversation was a feverish blur. Had she asked for anything for herself? Old fairy tales cautioning against badly worded wishes loomed suddenly large. Lane watched her, worry growing. Can I turn it down? Tinker asked. Anything he might give me if I don't like it? Windwolf might not give you a chance to say no. Tinker thought about it. What could he possibly give her that would be bad? What do you think he might give me? I'm not a superstitious woman, but our legends never have good to say about gifts from the Fae. I'm not sure he's going to give me anything, Lane. He says we're not even. Lane's eyes narrowed. Did he say it in Elvish or English? Tinker paused to think. Windwolf had woken her up in the trailer, and they'd shouted at each other. But in what language? English. Then it might not mean what you think it means, Tinker. She thought it had been fairly straightforward, but Lane had much more experience dealing with elves. She recounted the conversation the best she could remember and ended with, So what do you think he means? I'm not going to hazard a guess, Lane said, but be careful around him. He meant well with my garden, but it was done in the arrogance of an adult catering to a child. He believes he knows what is better for us. Oh, great. I've got enough of that type of people in my life already. Tinker. Lane gripped her hand tightly. I know I've pushed you into this college thing. I did it in the name of your own good. I've had a taste of my own bullying, and I'm sorry. Of all people, I should have realized that I was asking you to go alone to another world. If you don't want to go, you don't have to. I release you of all pledges. The elves said that. I release you of all pledges. The irony of it kept Tinker from cheering. Knowing Lane, though, it might have been her reason for using the phrase. So Tinker said, I'll think about it. Dusk fell slowly. As the sky darkened and the stars started to peek out, the conversation turned from the world left behind, the experience of startup, and the rustic amenities that the scientists found in the dormitories, and focused on the sky itself. First night was always fun. It was like watching children discover Christmas. Since it always rained during startup, the warmer returning earth air colliding with the chillier elf home climate, this was the scientists' first real sight of elf home stars. Their faces were turned upward at the winking lights, and they murmured reverently, Oh, wow. Once Tinker's eyes adjusted, she could see the upraised hands pointing out sights. As always, the cry of, Look at Arcturus, went up. The elves called it the wolf's heart. On the shoulder of the constellation, they called the first wolf. One of the brightest stars in the sky, Arcturus was also the fastest moving. 
there was a fifteen-degree difference between the star of Elfholm and Earth. I can't believe this is the same sky we were looking at two days ago, someone close at hand said with awe. A twenty-mile drive south, and all the constellations shift. Look at Corona Borealis. It doesn't look anything like a sea anymore. Twenty miles south, and a sidestep into another dimension, another voice corrected the first speaker. Because they would need to share the big telescopes, they all had personal telescopes set up. After minutes of fiddling, they excitedly swapped views. There are new stars in the star formation region of the Eagle Nebula. Where? M-16 and Serpens? Look at the alignment of the planets. They'll be in full conjunction on Friday. They oohed and odd, and talked about constellations that up to that point had only been textbook learning. Tinker spent the night at Lane's. Oil Can picked her up in the morning, and they headed over to the scrapyard. He went over the schedule he'd planned for the day. As usual, he was spending the days after startup doing running, tracking down supplies and goods they needed. Tinker gave him a full report on her meeting with Maynard, Lane's garden, and finally the mystery calls on her home system. Oil Can stopped at a red light at Route 65 and looked at her sharply. I think I should leave Bruno and Pete with you. Please, no. I think it will be a while before I can deal with large dogs again. I don't like you being alone when everything is so weird. The weirdness is over, Tinker asserted. Someone is trying real hard to find you, Tinker. They're searching the neighborhood for you. Someone tried to kill Windwolf. Can't be the same people. She wished he wouldn't dwell on it. It was scary enough without him talking about it. Windwolf was attacked on Elfholm before the shutdown, and the calls started from Earth after shutdown. So? Whoever is trying to find you is still on Elfholm. Whoever it is has nothing to do with Windwolf being attacked. Tinker could see where this was heading and stopped it. Alarm the office security system first thing. My home security system is still running. I'll be okay. Oil can grumped a while longer but gave in, promising to check in with her often. No doubt he'd also find a way to let Nathan know. Tinker tried to detour the conversation. Can you do me a favor and see if you can track down some peroxide this morning? Lane says it's best for cleaning up large amounts of blood. We need to replace all the first aid supplies, and I need pads. I restocked the first aid kit, Oil Can said. I also got you groceries. They're at my place. But you've got to get your own female stuff. It's not like they bite, Oil Can. And everybody knows they're not for you. It's embarrassing. Besides, I didn't know what type to buy. I used most of them to bandage wounds. Any kind will do. You get your own, he stated firmly. Do you want me to bring the rest of the stuff over to your place tonight? A bid to make sure she was okay. Once there, he'd probably stay late. Nah, I'll eat out. Get a pizza and some beer. Just bring it with you tomorrow. He looked unhappy, but he let it go at that. That was another installment in Wynn Spencer's Tinker. And that's it for the podcast. Thanks as always to audible.com and podcast theme composer, Ruth Judkowitz. And good night, Tony Daniel, wherever you are. This is David F. Shirod coming to you from a soundproof bunker somewhere deep in the heart of Texas. 
Join us here next week at the hammering heart of science fiction and fantasy and keep reaching for the stars.